Greetings and welcome to Stars and Stuff, the astronomy podcast brought to you by me, Richard J. Bartlett. In this episode, we'll review the news and planets and take a closer look at the constellations of Ursa Major, the Great Bear and Leo the Lion. April is bear season. I'm not talking about the grizzly kind, but rather the celestial kind instead. Ursa Major, the Great Bear, is high in the skies to the north all month, and now is the perfect time to track down the stellar beastie. Incidentally, I'd normally focus on just one object in this part of the podcast, but in this, in this episode we'll look at two. Lucky you. So let's talk about an easy target first. Many people know how to find the Big Dipper in the sky. By the way, if you're listening in the United Kingdom, I'm talking about the plough. The Big Dipper is formed from the seven brightest stars of Ursa Major. The three curved stars that forms the dipper's handle are actually the tail of the bear, and it's the middle star that we're most interested in. Known as Miser, it's a naked-eye double star that's been known since ancient times. Look carefully at the star, and you might notice a fainter companion very close beside it. This is Alcor. The two stars are moving in the same direction in space, but it's not known if they form a true multiple star system. Meanwhile, near the boulder of the dipper, we find the Owl Nebula, Unlike the bird it's named after, it's a much more challenging sight to see. Found close to Marak, it's quite faint and just beyond the reach of most binoculars. You'll probably also be out of luck if you're observing with a small telescope under suburban skies, but if you live under dark skies you could get lucky. You won't need much magnification. It appears as a dark grey circular patch at only 35 times, but you'll probably need a medium sized scope and dark skies to see its elusive eyes. These appear as two large oval patches in the circle and can definitely prove to be challenging. Use a light pollution reduction filter to help improve the view. Uranus's strange axis of rotation and the unusual properties of its moons and ring system are likely due to an ancient giant icy impact. The ice giant Uranus's unusual attributes have long puzzled scientists. All of the planets in our solar system revolve around the sun in the same direction and in the same plane, which astronomers believe is a vestige of how our solar system formed from a spinning disk of gas and dust. Most of the planets in our solar system also rotate in the same direction, with their poles oriented perpendicular to the plane the planets revolve in. However, uniquely among all the planets, Uranus is, is tilt over by about 98 degrees. A new study suggests that early in the history of our solar system, Uranus was struck by a small icy planet, roughly one to three times the mass of the Earth, which tipped the young planet over and left behind its idiosyncratic moon and ring system as a smoking gun. The upper layers in the atmospheres of gas giants, Saturn, Jupiter, Uranus and Neptune are hot, just like the Earth's, but unlike Earth, the Sun is too far from these outer planets to account for the high temperatures. Their heat source has been one of the great mysteries of planetary science. New analysis of data from NASA's Cassini spacecraft finds a viable explanation for what's keeping the upper layers of Saturn and possibly the other gas giants so hot, auroras at the planet's north and south poles. Electric currents, triggered by interactions between solar winds and charged particles from Saturn's moons, spark the auroras and heat the upper atmosphere. One year ago, the Event Horizon Telescope Collaboration published the first image of a black hole in the nearby radio, radio galaxy of M87. 
Now the collaboration has extracted new information from data on the distant quasar 3C279. They observed the finest detail ever seen in a jet produced by a supermassive black hole. New analysis of the data enabled the collaboration to trace the jet back to its launch point close to where violently variable radiation from across the electromagnetic spectrum arises. One of the fundamental ideas of cosmology is that everything looks the same in all directions, if you look over large enough distances. However, a new study is now challenging that basic notion. Astronomers generally agree that after the Big Bang, the cosmos has continuously expanded. A common analogy is that this expansion is like a baking loaf of raisin bread. As the bread bakes, the raisins, which represent cosmic objects like galaxies and galaxy clusters, all move away from one another as the entire loaf, representing space, expands. When even mixed, the expansion should be uniform in all directions, as it should be within an isotropic universe. But these new results may not fit that picture. The astronomers used X-ray temperature measurements of the extremely hot gas that pervades galaxy clusters and compared the data with how bright the clusters appear in the sky. Clusters of the same temperature and located at a similar distance should appear similarly bright but it's not what the, the astronomers observed. Clusters with the same properties, with similar temperatures, appear to be less bright than expected in one direction of the sky, and brighter than expected in another direction. The difference was quite significant, around 30%, and was not random, but has a clear pattern depending on the direction being observed. These results indicate that some areas of the cosmos are expanding at a different rate than others. You may have heard that nothing escapes the gravitational grasp of a black hole, not even light. This is true in the immediate vicinity of a black hole, but a bit farther out, in disks of material that swirl around some black holes, light can escape. In fact, this is the reason actively growing black holes shine with brilliant x-rays. Now, a new study offers evidence that, in fact, not all of the light streaming from a black hole's surrounding disk easily escapes. Some of it gives in to the monstrous pull of the black hole, turns back, and then ultimately bounces off the disk and escapes. For the first time, scientists have directly measured a wind speed on a brown dwarf, an object larger than Jupiter, the largest planet in our solar system, but not quite massive enough to become a star. To achieve the finding, they used a new method that could also be applied to learn about the atmospheres of gas-dominated planets outside our solar system. The target of the new study was a brown dwarf located 32 light years from Earth, a stone's throw away, cosmically speaking. The researchers detected winds moving around the planet at 1,425 miles per hour, or 2,293 kilometers per hour. For comparison, Neptune's atmosphere features the fastest winds in the solar system, which whip around at more than 1,200 miles per hour, or about 2,000 kilometers per hour. Lastly, during International Dark Sky Week, April 19th to 26th, the International Dark Sky Association invites you and your family to engage with dynamic authors, educators, artists and scientists from all around the world who are excited to share their passion for astronomy, our cultural connection to the stars, life in the dark and how we can work together to protect the night. Presentations will be broadcast live every day during International Dark Sky Week. To learn more, check out the schedule at idsw.darksky.org or follow along on Facebook which is at facebook.com forward slash IDA Dark Sky.
is a roundup of the planets from April 11th to the 20th. Mercury and Uranus are too close to the Sun to be visible, and if you've yet to observe Venus in the evening twilight, you might want to start now. It's still visible for hours after sunset, but it's now slowly sinking towards the Sun. Realistically, you've probably got another 5 or 6 weeks to see it before it disappears. Telescopically, it appears a little less than half illuminated and is a little more than 30 arc seconds in diameter. Neptune is creeping into the pre-dawn twilight, but it's still only 33 degrees away from the sun in the sky. This could make it a tricky target for binocular observers and less than ideal for those with a telescope. That leaves, it, leaves us with Mars, Jupiter and Saturn. All three are visible over the southeastern horizon in the hours before sunrise. Mars is going to be an outstanding object later this year, but it's still pretty faint and unimpressive. However, it's steadily growing brighter and is roughly equal to Saturn in magnitude right now. The ringed planet is a little way to the west of Mars, but you should still be able to compare the two. Jupiter is the first of the three to rise. It's currently rising about 4 hours before the Sun, with Saturn following just 20 minutes later and Mars appearing about an hour after Jupiter. The Moon reaches last quarter on the 14th and appears to the west of Jupiter that morning. It then appears close to Saturn the following morning before passing Mars on the 16th. The constellations are an eclectic collection of creatures, people and inanimate objects. Of the 12 constellations that form the zodiac, 7 are animals, 8 if you count the centaur Sagittarius, but only one can claim to be the king. Leo, the lion, is high in the April skies and is a familiar sight to almost anyone with an interest in astronomy. If you're familiar with the Big Dipper, or the Plough as it's known in the United Kingdom, then you know you can find Polaris, the North Star, by drawing a line through the outermost stars of the Dipper's bowl north. If you want to find Leo, you do the reverse. Draw a line through the pointer stars towards the south, and you'll stumble across the body of the lion. Leo appears high over the southern horizon at about 10pm in the middle of the month. It's a fairly prominent constellation, making it relatively easy to spot. According to legend, Leo represents the lion that used to terrorize Greek warriors, causing Hercules to kill the beast with his bare hands as one of his twelve labors. Fortunately for our lion, the constellation of Hercules is some way to the east, allowing the lion to be left in peace. Leo is one of the few constellations that actually looks like what it's meant to represent. His head and front are formed by a distinctive sickle shape, or backwards question mark, that's forever looking towards the west. At the bottom of the sickle is Regulus, the constellation's brightest star. A blue-white star some 79 light-years away, its name is Latin for Little King, quite appropriate for the king of the jungle. Regulus, however, is not a single star, but is made up of two pairs of stars orbiting one another once every 600 years. Regulus is the closest bright star to the ecliptic. This is the invisible line the sun, moon and planets appear to follow as they make their way across the sky. As a result, the moon often appears close to the star and will sometimes pass in front of it, hiding it from view. Incidentally, speaking of invisible lines, when I was a kid I thought the Earth's equator was an invisible lion that went around the world. I thought it must have been very dangerous for anyone who came across this invisible creature. In my defense, I was only about five and had misheard the teacher. Look a little higher at the sickle and you'll see Gamma Leonis, aka Algebra. This is an easy double for binoculars, or possibly even a naked eye if you have good eyesight. This pair isn't a true double, however, as the two stars are merely within the same line of sight. That's not to say 
there isn't more to see here. Point a small telescope toward it and crank the magnification up to about 100 times. If the air is steady, you should be able to split algebra into a pair of golden stars of almost equal magnitude. If you want another easy double, look a little further to the north again. Just above algebra in the sickle is Ad Hafira, or Zeta Leonis. Binoculars will show a lemony white star with a white companion. Leo also plays host to a number of galaxies, most notably a small trio known as the Leo Triplet. These three galaxies are known as Messier 65, Messier 66, and NGC 3628. The famous French astronomer Charles Messier discovered the first two in the late 18th century, but managed to somehow miss NGC 3628. That galaxy was discovered by William Herschel, the astronomer who discovered Uranus just a few years earlier in 1781. Of the three, Messier 66 is the brightest, but both Messier 66 and NGC 3628 are roughly the same magnitude. It's therefore something of a mystery as to why Messier didn't include NGC 3628 in his catalogue, especially since all three can easily fit within the same telescopic field of view. If you're lucky, you might be able to spot the galaxies with binoculars, but you'll most likely need good skies to see them. If you're away from the lights of a town or city, a telescope should reveal their presence, but a larger scope is required to see them as anything more than faint, wispy patches. Lastly, at the opposite end of the constellation from Regulus, we come to Denebola. Its name is Arabic for the tail of the lion, and through binoculars you can see an unrelated companion just to its south. Look out for a much fainter third star between them. April is prime time for the King of the Jungles constellation, and we've barely scratched the surface of what you can see. Take a look and discover for yourself what makes the lion roar in the night. This is episode's trivia question. You can get over 700 like it from my book, The Daily Astronomical and Space Quiz Book, which is available on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle format. So here it is. Which two stars in the Big Dipper point to Polaris, the pole star? Is it A. Aliofan Dubi? Is it B. Dubi and Marak? Is it C. Marak and Fad? Or is it D. Mizar and Alcor? As always, I'll give you the answer in a few moments. The answer to the trivia question is B, Ruby and Marak. Known as the pointers, these two stars can be used to locate Leo to the south and Cassiopeia to the north. That's it for another episode. As always, if you liked it, please subscribe and tell your friends. You can find Stars and Stuff on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple and Google, among others, or by going to tinyurl.com forward slash snspod. If you're interested in my books, you can find them at tinyurl.com forward slash rjbamazon-us in the United States and tinyurl.com forward slash rjbamazon-uk in the United Kingdom. You're also welcome to email me at astronomywriter at gmail.com with any comments or questions you, you might have. And don't forget to come join the Stars and Stuff Facebook group at tinyurl.com forward slash SNS Facebook group. Thanks for listening, and until we talk again, 
clear skies to you.